You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio. Welcome to another Colts Blue Zone Podcast alongside Joe Hopkins and Mike Chappell. I'm Dave Griffiths. Appreciate you all joining us for our 180th episode. Counting down until 200. It is coming up shortly. We'll hit that next year sometime in 2022, but uh, we will look ahead as the Colts hope to keep their hot streak going as Tom Brady and the reigning Super Bowl champion Buccaneers come to Indianapolis this weekend. Got some injury updates, keys to the game. We'll be making our predictions late in the show, but we'll begin with the news of the week. And it'll be more than just Tom Brady and the Buccaneers of interest to Colts fans inside Lucas Oil Stadium this weekend. As Reggie Wayne and Robert Mathis made the cut to, uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do that first. Heck, since I since I just teased it. Robert Mathis, Ring of Honor ceremony, going to be Sunday against the Buccaneers. So Mathis played for the Colts from 2003 to 2016. Um, he joins Dwight Freeney, Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Jeff Saturday, Edron James, and Tony Dungy from that uh, 2000s-era Colts team into the, the Ring of Honor. Uh, and Mike, you uh, we, we've said for a long time that this was going to be a long list of Colts entering the Ring of Honor um, from from this era. And uh, Mathis is the next name. He's deservedly so. It would only be fitting if he goes up uh, somewhere near his good friend, Syracuse's own Dwight Freeney up there in the Ring of Honor. Yeah, they ought to put sandwich Peyton Manning with, with Freeney and Mathis just to, so they can kind of snuggle with him. They couldn't hit him in practice. But, no, this, this, this is – again, I, I said I hope people would – appreciated what this team, what this city had in the 2000s. And you mentioned all those names, Tariq Glenn, Bob Sanders, uh, Dallas Clark. I mean, there's still a ton of players, and I'll keep beating the drum that there was football pre-manning. So let's get a Jeff Harrod or a Eugene Daniel or someone in there. But it's always kind of cool to see because what what's neat about it is a lot of players will be back. For the event, I talked to uh, Edron for another story on Jonathan Taylor, and I asked him if he was coming, and he said, sure. He said, as long as the big man, meaning Jim Ursay, he told him, get me in the day of the, of the event and home that night, and I'll be there. So Edron will be here. Uh, but it's just always good to see the, the, the former greats of the franchise in town. And Robert Mathis is probably, probably the, the best Late round pick of the Polian era. I can't, I don't know who you'd even put up there with it. So uh, kudos to uh, Robert Mathis. Yeah, you, you don't take guys in, in the fifth round out of Alabama A&M thinking that, uh, having any confidence that one day they're going to be uh, up in the Ring of Honor or they're going to be Hall of Fame candidates, which we'll touch on in a second. But uh, Joe, having lived through, of course, the mid-2000s Colts era yourself growing up in that era, um, to see see what Mathis did uh, on a daily basis or a weekly basis, him and Freeney, of course, on the other side, but uh, Mathis in particular, he was a guy who was kind of an underdog. He was the smaller defensive end, uh, but he he was a he was certainly a fighter. He developed that one killer move, the spin move that just beat so many people week in week out. And um, what what were your uh, just your memories of Robert Mathis as uh, as a, as a young and yourself? Yeah, it was always Freeney Mathis, Freeney Mathis, and a race to who could get to the quarterback first. And I remember uh, back when I was a, a little more hung up on the stats. You know, the Col- Colts won so often 
during those years. I was more concerned with stats because I just assumed that they would win. So I, I kind of hoped that these two guys wouldn't take sacks away from each other. And then, of course, the first year that Freeney leaves and moves on, Mathis leads the NFL. I believe he had 19 and a half. So that goes to show that Freeney certainly was taking a few sacks away from Robert Mathis during that time. Uh, but he was also taking away attention. Uh, the uh, offensive line would have given Mathis as well. Um, when Freeney left, I feel like Mathis kind of stepped up um, and became really a leader of the defense there in the Pagano years. And he, he's still a leader around the Colts. You see him very actively rooting on the Colts on Twitter. Um, he's a pass rush consultant for some of the young uh, Colts pass rushers there. So Mathis, an all-time great Colt and one of my favorites. And we'll mention that uh, Mathis, along with Reggie Wayne, have made the cut to the uh, 26 modern era semifinalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2022. Uh, our own Mike Chappell right here on the podcast is uh, always tasked with presenting Colts to the committee. Uh, he's a voter uh, for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I guess, uh, Chap, if you're talking about Mathis in particular and his first year of eligibility, we'll touch on him before getting to Reggie Wayne, since we've already talked about him in uh, years past on the podcast. But with Mathis, I think Joe makes a really great point that I'm sure will be some some uh, some fodder for you when you're talking to the committee. Like people will always group Mathis and Freeney together, but the year that Freeney leaves, Mathis leads the NFL in sacks. It goes to show you that it was not just a matter of oh, they're two guys that are really good and they fed off each other. Uh, no, they were two elite guys that really stole sacks from one another and statistics-wise could have been so much higher up there if they weren't playing together. So you think playing together might actually detract from their case for the Hall of Fame, but if you take them strictly by talent, then it's, it's, it's a, I think, gives them a much better case of being enshrined in Canton one day. I remember talking several times with the late John Turling, you know, rest his soul, one of the, the premier pass rush coaches in league history. I said, which one? You only get one. Which one do you want? And he wouldn't tell me. He said, that's like asking me which one of my kids I love best. But it, it's really, it's it'd be a, really a crazy discussion to have. Yes, they took sacks away from each other because I, I talked to Freeney and he said, yeah, there's always a competition. And he said, whenever you're a pass rusher, and you're in that mix of bodies and the quarterback goes down, what you learn to do is put your hand in the air, You whether you got it or not. You put your hand in the air to give them something to think about on who got the sack. But as much as they took sacks away from each other, how many did they create for each other, you know, by, you know, a lot of attention on this guy, so the other guy. So it's really, really interesting on how it's worked out. And what I'm interested to see now that we've gotten Robert to final 26, and then we'll go to, I think in a month we cut to the final 15 that we vote on uh, in January. I'm really curious how his his status is nationally. You know, next year Freeney's a first-year uh, eligible player. And my gut says that nationally people regard Freeney more. I, I just do. And maybe locally it's the other way around. Maybe locally it's it, it's Mathis. I, I don't know. But Mathis is going to find himself in a difficult situation because we're getting a bunch of pass rushers on the list. Jared Allen's on this list. Uh, DeMarcus Ware's on the list. 
Next year, Freeney's on the list. So I want to see, we, we, in the last 10 years, we've had a real difficult time with receivers, and we still will. Reggie, Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson this year. But I want to see how we parcel out pass rushers. And one thing I asked Mathis, I said, do you belong? He said, yeah, I do. He said, Any t- anytime you've got a notable record, he said, you should have a seat at the table. And he's got that record for, the one I've been mentioning is, is 54 forced fumbles in his career and a, a league record. I think there's also another one with like 47 strip sacks. You know, so it's one, which one you want to go with. But he's like 18th, or I think he's 19th on the on the sack list. Freeney's 18th. But again, you got Jared Allen, DeMarcus Ware, and it's just going to be really interesting to see how the other voters consider pass rushers, as we've had to do with receivers. Joe, yeah, we've talked about kind of that dynamic of sack numbers in, in the past here on the podcast. You could, by the way, go into our archives and check those out. Uh, some of those off-season discussions are very evergreen. Uh, but but always interesting. Um, like we we we've we've talked about it in the in the in the sense that um, like Freeney and Mathis are right on that cusp of like guys above them on the list, and the all time sacks are pretty much almost all in the Hall of Fame. Almost all, not all of them, but almost all of them. And below them, there's like none of them that are just purely sack guys you see charles haley's down there a little ways he's a, a sack guy warren sap but sap was more an interior uh defender than an edge rusher anyway but but you look above them on the list guys in the hall of fame below them not in the hall of fame so it's it's really is a unique situation for for mike here to i guess to present them for guys that are on the cusp and and when you're looking at mathis like he said i really do think the um just the 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 sack uh, the strip sack thing and the forced fumbles definitely has to come into play. Also comes into play that he he lost the year, uh, I think. So he lost one of his best years. And he could have had more uh, numbers out there. So uh, I, I, he'll he'll be forever enshrined in the Ring of Honor. Uh, I guess Joe, we'll just have to wait to see if uh, if the uh, if the national um, uh, consensus is that he's uh, deserving of a Hall of Fame place as well. Yeah, you talk about two other people who are el- eligible. I mean, DeMarcus Ware is ninth all-time with 138.5, and, and then Jared Allen is 12th with 136. Um, so, you know, uh, what might help Mathis is that um, that strip sack record, that forced fumble record, because when you do something better than anyone else in league of history ever has, I mean, that, that should get you qualified right there. So... I certainly think Mathis is deserving. If I had to put money on it, I don't think he's going to be uh, in the Hall of Fame his first time around. It might take him a few years. You look at uh, who the semifinalists are, Mike. Uh, who jumps out to you from this list? Like, uh, if I'm if I'm looking down this list, uh, outside of the two Colts, we'll, we'll, we'll leave Reggie and Mathis out of it for a second, then we'll touch on Reg. But, um, like, Jared Allen certainly is noteworthy with uh, his, his sack total. Tony Baselli's in there from years past. Leroy Butler was an all-NFL, all-decade in the 90s team. Devin Hester, I think, is a really interesting one. I think this is his first year uh, eligible, if I'm not mistaken. But if you're, again, if you're going the greatest in history, if, if Robert Mathis is like the greatest sack, uh, strip sack guy in history, Devin Hester is probably the best returner in history. So that's going to be probably a pretty interesting vote, I would imagine. Yeah, and it's just kind of how people view this. Steve Tasker is 
arguably the, the best special teams player of all time. And yeah. he and he cannot get traction in the room. He just doesn't. It's kind of like the old uh, place kickers. It, it took it took Morton Anderson a long time. It took us to get was it Ray Guy winning as a senior candidate, a senior candidate, the best kicker, the best punter of all time. So, if I look at the list, I, I'm partial to Reggie. I am. Uh, you know, whenever you're on a list of like he and Jerry Rice and, and Larry Fitzgerald, as far as when you combine regular season and postseason, those are your top three receivers. You know, ever. So so anytime you're on a list, a short list with Jerry Rice, you've done something right. Uh, I, I, I kind of like Tony Baselli. He's been knocking on the door. The issues I've, I've always had with him is the shortness of his career. I, I think six full seasons, maybe seven. And then the shoulder injuries really too cold. So what we're going to see this year, just from knowing how the room works, it's going to be Reggie or Torrey Holt. One of them will get in. I would argue that they both need to get in just to get rid of the, the backlog because, again, we got Steve Smith, we got Andre Johnson. And anyone who seriously considers Andre Johnson, and this isn't a knock on Andre Johnson, Reggie has better numbers. He just, he just does. And then the argument for Andre Johnson is, well, yeah, but look at the list of, you know, mid-level quarterbacks he had thrown the ball to him. So it, it, it's always interesting. It's why it's always a seven- or eight-hour meeting. And uh, the, the thing that's going to help Reggie this year, I think, is it's his third year in the room. He's been a finalist the last two years, final 15. And there's not that list of, well, this guy's in, this guy's in. So there's not like two or three guys that are just slam dunks. And to me, that always favors guys that have been in the room. There, there, there's no, uh, I present to you Peyton Manning. Correct. Correct. And we've had that the last few years where, which we've put way too much value on first ballot guys, which is, it's just, you know, you hear on talk radio nowadays, well, this guy's a surefire Hall of Famer. But no, I mean, there's talk like that on Quentin Nelson. He's played three years. Let's let the guy mm-hmm. play, I don't know, eight years, and then we'll see. But, uh, again, I think I think this is a good year, a good chance for Reggie. Yeah, Joe, uh, Reggie Wayne has reached the final 15 from this 26 of his both of his first two years of eligibility. And uh, as Mike said, when you combine the regular season and the postseason, there there are few uh, that are better than him. You get you put him in the same category as Larry Fitzgerald and Jerry Rice. So uh, a heck of a group uh, to, to be part of. And I think Colts fans everywhere are, are, are hoping, uh, to say the least, that uh, Reggie makes it in sooner rather than later. It would be fitting to, to go up there as well. Join uh, an, another Syracuse legend in uh, Marvin Harrison there in the hall as Chap shakes his head at me. Yeah, I think it's Reggie's time. Um, he didn't get in last year. Wide receiver uh, Calvin Johnson got in on her, his first try. But if you look at the other receivers on this list, I mean, Reggie just has more yards than all of them. Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson, Anquan Bolden. All, he's He just has more numbers than all those guys. He has a Super Bowl ring. Um, in, uh, I, I guess Steve Smith would be the one guy that Reggie Wayne doesn't have more yards than on that list. But, um, I think Reggie's deserving and I think he's going to get in this year because it's his turn. And I think one wide receiver is going to make it Reggie Wayne's that wide receiver. All right. Well, the NFL announced on Tuesday, the date and time officially for the Colts game week 15 against the Patriots 
The game will be airing in uh, prime time, Saturday, December 18th, an 8.20 kickoff. Uh, if you're in central Indiana, they'll be broadcast on Fox 59. So the Colts have another home primetime game. How about that? Uh, it'll be the first of back-to-back Saturday date games for the Colts as they visit Arizona on Christmas Day the following week. So, And those will be probably two very important games. If uh, they get the Mike, they got the one win down in Buffalo, which I was down there, so they snapped the curse of Dave on the uh, on the road games. That was that was nice of them for to send me home with something that's not disastrous, and it has been in a couple of the previous games that I've been to on the road in the regular season. But uh, that's going to be uh, another chance for the Colts to, to host a primetime game. We talked about it for a long time, that it wasn't happening too often. Well, hey, this year they get a couple home primetime games with uh, this announcement, and they're also rekindling that rivalry with the Patriots under the lights. So it should be fun. Yeah, it's funny. Back in the day with Manning, we the Colts would have six or seven primetime games. You just dealt with it. Uh, but now the, it's so different now, and fans do, do not care. They do not care. They watch the game, and they turn it off at 1130, and they're done. Well, for those of us that are working, I, I'm, I'm not crazy about an 820 game because I know I'll be sitting there at 230 at Lucas Oil finishing my work, yep. and, you, and you'll be working late. But, yeah, yep. it, 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 it's cool because if – if you're not on prime time, it's because you're Jacksonville, you know. And, and no one, no one wants to be a team with. While it's kind of cool for the media to have sixteen one o'clock games, it means you're not very good. And also uh, with uh, that game, and then uh, I, I think that it's probably good for the Colts and for the NFL uh, as well to put them in prime time because they're on hard knocks. They really do want to kind of pump up the Colts, so that show do, does well as well. So I'll just throw that in as a little aside. Um, more news, Jonathan Taylor named the AFC Offensive Player of the Week after scoring five touchdowns, gaining 204 total yards from scrimmage in Buffalo. That's, um, that's, called, he, that's called non-breaking news, in it, by the way. Yeah, no kidding. And, and, and I think, like, this this game, Mike, was, like, Chris Ballard was looking at this game and thinking, that's it right there, you know? Like, domination of the line of scrimmage, offensive and defensive side of the ball. I think, like, when he took over, he could have, if he had tape of this game way back then, he could have pointed that and be like, hey, this is what we want to do. This is what we want to do on a weekly basis. So that's kind of my philosophy of what, how I'm going to draft, how I'm going to go approach free agency. Like this was Chris Ballard's ideal Colts team, one that dominates both sides of the line of scrimmage. Yeah, the, and Joe and I talked about this briefly on Monday about, and I've heard people say, well, this is the blueprint of how you want to win games. Well, yeah, except for the, you, th- you threw for 106 yards. And yeah. you can't, you can't, you can't win. That was an aberration. It simply was. Uh, it, it's funny. I brought that up with to Frank Reich today about can you really win games with 106 yards passing? And he kind of laughed. He said, "Well, he said I did." Back in, <laughs> uh, and then Matt Conti looks it up. Uh, November 29th, 1989. Frank Reich started against Miami, six out of nine, 123 with one touchdown, and they beat the Dolphins. Because they ran for 280. Like so I say, Thurman it, Thomas probably went for 240. It, Thomas went for 148, and Larry Kinnebrew went for 125. So there you go. So what? What I mean, what? What it shows you though is is this is an offense that can do it, it b- both ways. It's got it's kind of crazy. They've got the two highest rushing totals this year, 264 and 260. And as I, I looked it up. So 106 yards is the third fewest yards by a winning team this year. 
So so it just shows you that, you know, normally you, you throw for 106 yards and you're beating 30 to 6. But this just shows you that when things fall into place, and like, like you said, dominate the line of scrimmage, both sides, both sides, that you can do this and do things your way. And what was crazy is Frank said that, you know, you grade out these players. He said Carson Wentz graded out very, very – he said he gave him an A+. Plus. Uh, he pointed out the – uh, the first pass to Michael Pittman, I think it was a third and whatever it was, eight, nine, ten, whatever it was, tough pass, and then the one to Ty was a third and third and long, and he hits him in stride going to the left. Uh, he just thought that was one of the cleaner games that Wentz has had, and Wentz said today, he said, "Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, I'm kind of just along along for the ride." So uh, they, they can't, they they won't be able to do that on on Sunday against Tampa. Yeah, it's, they've got the what the best run defense and uh, the back end's not as strong. So, but it's good to know that if you have to, in bad weather or whatever, that you can line up behind this offensive line and just just thrash people. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor now leads all Pro Bowl voting as well, Joe. So it appears, uh, how, however much you hate running backs, the Colts seem to have a really good one. Oh, I love running backs. I just hate <laughs> paying them. no but Jonathan Taylor might be the exception I mean thankfully the Colts don't have to make that decision for another couple of years uh but if he keeps it up like this I say give the guy his money on a short maybe like a three-year extension Mm -hmm. nothing crazy like a Zeke deal but yeah Jonathan Taylor is he might be the hottest player in the world right now I mean he is just playing at a whole nother level and he'll need to continue playing at that level against that uh tough Buccaneers defense yeah, there has been some talk this week about Jonathan Taylor as a NFL MVP candidate, and and I I, I don't want to I don't want to bring y'all down right here, but like I, I do I do want to throw a little bit of a wet blanket out there for a second for a second. As much Mike as, both Mike did the same thing on Monday. No, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not saying you in particular. I'm not saying you in particular. <laughs> like people are saying, and like he he's out there because there's no one clear cut candidate, and I get that. Mm-hmm. There, there's also a third of the season to play. And, like, if you have a clear-cut candidate now, that's someone that's having a record-breaking year. Like, Mahomes is throwing for 50 touchdowns, which he did a couple years ago, you know? Like, there's no one on pace for that yet, so fine. There's not one candidate that you know is going to happen. But, right now, Patrick Mahomes leads the NFL in passing yards. Tom Brady is second in passing yards. And with the way the Kansas City started this year, like... For and now they're on a tear. They've won four in a row. If that continues, then Mahomes is certainly the favorite, in my opinion. Tom Brady is forty. Uh, I don't know, eighty-seven years old, and he's still he could lead the league in passing yards at the end of the day. So he could be a an easy guy to pick as an NFL MVP candidate, uh, assuming that either one of those two teams is the top seed in, in their AFC NFC. So. Like, do I, do I think it's possible for Jonathan Taylor to win? Sure. But do I think you should go out and put money on it? No. Like, I don't even think it's a good flyer right now. I really don't. Because I really don't think that that he has a very good chance. There's going to be a quarterback of a team, whether it's Brady or Mahomes, late in the season that gets the one seed, that has a great final month, that uh, propels their team to, to the playoffs and a, and a home field advantage, that is probably going to take it. Jonathan Taylor will win the de facto uh, uh, MVP for uh, for position players, which is the NFL's Offensive Player of the Year, that Derrick Henry, Michael Thomas, Todd Gurley have won in recent years, and, and that's 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 probably what he could win. But I I just don't think that he has the juice 
uh, to, to win NFL MVP. I just don't. And, and I'm sorry if y'all hate me because of that, but I, I just don't think it's going to be a reality this year. If I had to vote today, today, I would probably vote for Jonathan Taylor just because he is the hot topic right now. But then I would note in the last 20 years, 20 years, we've had 17 quarterbacks and three running backs. So, you know, it, 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 this is a quarterback league. It, it's it's a numbers league. Somebody's going to throw for 40 or 45 touchdowns and 5,000 yards because they always do. One of these quarterbacks, Mahomes, Brady, Aaron Rodgers, is going to get hot. And whatever they do, I, I agree with what you just said. I, I think there's a really, really good chance a quarterback gets MVP and JT gets Offensive Player of the Year. And I think sometimes that may be how it should be. But you can also argue MVP means where would this team be without you? And you can argue that, that he's maybe maybe the most indispensable player, although that's – to say that, though, again, then I'll, I'll, I'll argue against myself. You know, knock on wood, you hope that doesn't happen. But they still have a 1,000-yard rusher who's been inactive the last three weeks. So, you know, heaven forbid that Taylor Taylor gets injured. I, I don't think there's a massive, massive drop-off to a Marlon Mack, Naheem Hines backfield. I mean, certainly there's a, there's a, there's a big drop-off. But I think this offense could still function. But if this kid throws up 1,800 yards and 2,400 yards from scrimmage and, you know, 24, 25 touchdowns, he will be in the top three discussion. He will be. I, I agree with that, I, and I do think he'll be in the discussion. But even right now, like the Colts aren't even in the playoffs right now if the, if the season ended today. So uh, he, he's not going to be an MVP if they don't make the playoffs. It's just not going to happen. So that's Agreed. that's number one. They need, they need to make the playoffs. And uh, maybe if he, they're like the six or the seven seed and they make it in by the skin of their teeth, then that gives him more uh, sway. Like, hey, well, where this team wouldn't have made the playoffs without him. So so we'll see. Anyway, I just wanted to get that out there. Uh, not to Not to – uh, give everyone uh, a something uh, depressing before uh, Thanksgiving week. I hear, but, uh, pe- I hear, I hear, I hear people clicking off the podcast right now. Thanks a lot, yeah, Dave. Right now, <laughs> right now, Dave. So you, you guys can blame me when uh, when this all goes uh, goes up in flames. Um, Colts roster moves this week. They signed cornerbacks Brian Poole and Anthony Chesley to the practice squad. Uh, Poole has 38 starts in his five year career, seven last year with the Jets before he fell on injured reserve. Seven career interceptions. Uh, primarily been a slot corner over his career. Uh, so we'll see what role he has with the practice squad, first of all. And then they released cornerback uh, Bo Pete Keys, uh, the Colts did, from the practice squad. So uh, that brings us to, to the present. And the Colts' current injury report as they get set to host the Buccaneers uh, this weekend. Uh, uh, broadcast on Fox 59 in central Indiana. Frank Reich says Quentin Nelson did not practice on Wednesday. Uh, taping this podcast one day early, of course, due to the Thanksgiving holiday. So this will be out uh, by the time that you see an official practice report on Wednesday. But uh, Q definitely re-aggravated that injury against the Bills, guys. I saw it on either the first or the second play. It was very early that he was down and fought to get himself back up. And then later in the game, he had to come out. He just couldn't couldn't uh, push through it anymore. And uh, Joe, he's been pushing through very much for all of the season, uh, it seems like a one injury after another, after another, um, that he's just been able to gut it out. But uh, there, there's only so much you can gut out. There's only so much you can push through. And he found that limit in Buffalo. 
you just hope that he's able to rest and rehab and get it right enough to be good enough uh, for the coming weeks. And I'm sure that the late bye will help him with that, getting another rest, restful week. But uh, right now, this is going to be, uh, I think, a weekly thing with Quentin Nelson. If something happens in the game, then tough luck, he's out for now and might even miss another week. Um, but uh, it's not going to be all sunshine and roses until probably after the season when he can have a quote-unquote procedure on it and uh, have more rest and rehab until it's perfect again. Yeah, both Nelson and Darius Leonard are probably going to deal with their ankle injuries all year. Quentin Nelson, clearly not quite himself, but still very effective out there. Um, the, The only good news for the Colts here is that Chris Reed has played really well this season, so... If the Colts have to go, you know, a few more games with Reed and Glowinski as their starting guards, uh, I think there's a lot of teams in the NFL who would like to have those two men as their starting NFL guards. So hopefully Quentin will be able to play and be effective out there. The Colts have a good backup plan, and, you know, we'll just have to see as it goes along. He's so tough, it's going to be hard to keep him off the field. Safety Kari Willis also is not going to return to practice today. He is eligible to return from IR this week but is currently in the evaluation process. Uh, he's been on injured reserve since suffering calf injury against the Titans uh, in week eight. So, uh, Mike, I know that there's been some chatter that this Colts team, especially last week when um, when they kind of made it through the injury report relatively unscathed, there's been some chatter that, hey, the Colts are pretty healthy right now. And, and I get that. That is true. But still at the same time, like you have both of your safeties out on injured reserve. You have Paris Campbell on injured reserve. Um, so you have a couple guys who aren't going to show up on the injury report who are injured. Um, Rodrigo Blankenship's on injured reserve. That's a, another topic entirely as Bashley keeps making kicks and is uh, probably going to keep uh, staying in the lineup until he misses. But uh, And then you look at Darius Leonard, Quentin Nelson. They're two all-world world players who are dealing with these ankle injuries. So, like, I understand that people are saying that, hey, the Colts are pretty healthy right now. Or if you look at the injury report, you say, hey, they're pretty healthy right now. But they still are dealing with some some significant things. Sure, I think George Odom performed pretty well in, in a relief role in the secondary, but I, I still think the Colts are pretty banged up right now, just when, I, when you look at it entirely, when you look at injured reserve as well, and especially when you look at what could happen, I think, to a team like one area, safety in particular, has been really, really hit pretty hard. So, um, so are, are they relatively healthy? Based on their 53-man roster, sure, okay, they're pretty healthy. But if you look at their team as a whole, they're certainly still dealing with stuff as we approach week 12, I think, now of the regular season. Now, you make a good point. Again, last week we noted that they they had nobody ruled out on Friday for the first time since last year. So which is that, great. Which is great. But, again, you know, oh, by the way, you've got three major players on IR with your safeties and your kicker. Uh, yeah, and, and that's why – it, 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 it is relative, and there are other teams going through the same. I mean, most teams are going through the same thing. The fortunate right. thing with the Colts is they've got guys, the injuries are significant. Don't tell Quentin Nelson that the high ankle sprain isn't significant. It is. Darius Leonard, it is. You know, I, I think Darius Leonard has not had a Darius Leonard year, aside from the takeaways. The takeaways are really impressive. But he's not. he's not been that 12, 14 tackle guy. To me, in large part, because he, he, he's lost some of his burst and in, in sideline to sideline movement because of the ankle, which is understandable. But right now, they're in this in this part of the season where I I don't know how Quentin gets better. I, I don't see how he gets better because he's gonna 
maybe, maybe you know, probably not practice today. You know, Frank told us last week Quentin wasn't going to practice on Wednesday, and Quentin practiced. So he should have asked <laughs> Quentin. He should ask Quentin first. But it, it's just going to be a case of limited practice, play, probably aggravate it. Next week, limited practice, treatment, play, probably aggravate it. Because the only rest for a high ankle is, or the only remedy is rest. And there's no time. I I just don't see them sitting him down, and I really don't see someone going up and trying to take Quentin's helmet from him. I, th- that's not going to happen. So I, I just think that's where you're at. I, I don't see how it changes and the, the very nature of what they do. They're going to aggravate their ankles. <laughs> you know, they're on them all the time, and Quentin's got a 300-pounder leaning on him every play, so... Relatively speaking, they're in good shape, but that's only relatively because they've got guys dealing with things. Uh, uh, Xavier Rhodes with the calf, you know that that'll flare up at, at some point. So uh, you just kind of cross your fingers and, and look to the sky and say, if it's an injury, make it a, a minor one that the guy can play with, and we move on. Because you know what, what wins there by, uh, you know, in, in December. Yeah. So and even that's gonna—it's not gonna give a, a high ankle sprain the, the time it needs to get better. Yeah, we'll keep you updated on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone as the week progresses as to what's going down with the Colts injury-wise. And follow us all. Joe is at Roto Street. Joe. Mike is at M Chapel Fifty One. I'm at Dave G Underscore Sports. When you talk about the Buccaneers injury-wise, they're actually a team that is getting healthier now than they were earlier in the year. Um, head coach Bruce Arians said that their defensive tackle, their nose tackle, Vita Vea, should be good to go for this week's game. Said he was very close to playing on Monday night this past week in the Bucks' win over the Giants. He was carted off the field in Week 10 with a knee injury. So carted off, sat one week, so it looks like he's going to be back this week. Um, their cornerback, Carlton Davis, their top corner, uh, was designated to return to practice on Wednesday from injured reserve. Had been there since Week 7, had a calf injury. Now the Bucks have a 21-day window to activate him to the 53-man roster. We'll see if he's good enough to come back this week. If not, that's just going to be pushed down the road a bit. Uh, their other starting cornerback is Sean Murphy Bunding, was activated off injured reserve on Monday. He played Monday against the Giants. He'd been on IR since week one. And also last but certainly not least, especially when you talk about playing the Colts, tight end Rob Gronkowski returned to the field on Monday as well. He'd missed five games this season. He had six catches for 71 yards in his return. So, Joe, when you look at all those players there, I think Vita Vea is certainly significant. Both cornerbacks, yeah, that's all well and good. Rob Gronkowski is the big name, and people might think he's past his prime, but when he's on the field, really, for Tampa Bay, he's been very productive. His problem has been injuries, I think, with them since returning from retiring uh, a couple summers ago. Like, when he's on the field, he's doing really well, and he's still got Tom Brady throwing him the football. It's evidenced by six catches, 71 yards last week. He could still be a really, really dangerous guy, um, even if he's not maybe prime Gronkowski, just a step below prime Gronkowski, maybe USDA choice Gronkowski, we will call it. He's still pretty darn good out there. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who last year, the rust was kind of clear. But then this year, in his second year back from retirement, he just came out so red hot. He had two touchdowns uh, in the each of the first two games this year before injuries started to take hold. And he, he doesn't have quite the speed 
that he used to, obviously. But Tom Brady just knows where he's going to be on the field. He's a big target in the red zone. Extremely valuable to this offense. I mean, I, I never root for injuries or people to be hurt, but I, with all these guys coming back for this Colts game that I thought might be out, I said, gum." I mean, maybe even just as impactful, if not more, than Gronkowski is Vita Vea, especially in the run game. Um, you know, he was carted off a couple of weeks ago, and it looked like it could have been a very serious injury. I did not think he'd be available for this game. Uh, thankfully for him, the knee is uh, a lot better than initially feared. So it looks like he's going to come back. And he's, I mean, 340-pounder in that middle of the defense that the Colts are going to have to handle. And with Quentin Nelson dealing with that ankle, that's a tall task. Also starting left guard, uh, Ali Marpet, uh, questionable with an oblique strain. Suffered his injury on Monday. Uh, Bruce Arian says it's going to take until the end of the week to know if he's going to play. Richard Sherman also on IR as well. Uh, Chap, uh, I've mentioned his name a couple times now, but Bruce Arian's coming back to Indianapolis. Uh, I'm sure if he finds his way onto the Jumbotron, even if he's coaching Tom Brady, uh, Colts fans will, will give him a rousing ovation on this return. One of the all-time great personalities to, to come through here. He, uh, people, t- they think it goes back to 2012 and coordinator. Or uh, yeah, coordinator. He he was Peyton's coordinator yep. in '98. Remember, so so just a great guy, a great person, a great head coach. People wondered how he would be as a head coach. They really thought that the head coaching train had left, uh, you know, Bruce Arians at, at the depot and all that. But he showed he he's shown that he was much more than just a great offensive mind by the way he's handled teams, handled players. Uh, yeah, it's it's funny. I tweeted out. I, I ran into Bruce at the uh, Peyton Manning's Hall of Fame uh, reception in Canton back in August, and we stopped and talked. And, and he's wearing that doorknob that they gave him for the Super Bowl championship, and it's the biggest thing I've ever seen. And he wears it proudly. He probably wears it. Knowing Bruce, he wears it whenever he goes, you know, out of the house. But great guy. And let's not forget. Uh, Tom Moore, uh, Clyde Christensen. So there there are some Colts, uh, former Colts, who played significant roles for the Colts coming back to town on Sunday. Well, his Buccaneers are 7-3. and three. The Colts are 6-5. and five. Uh, Bucks, uh, after I mentioned that Monday night win over the Giants, 30-10, uh, to 10, which shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, as the Giants have won like two primetime games in their last 20, something ridiculous. They just don't win in primetime. Uh, but before that, uh, the Buccaneers, it was kind of a get-right game for them. They had lost two in a row uh, to Washington, to New Orleans, also had the bye mixed in there. Uh, they have a couple wins over winning teams. That was the Cowboys back in Week 1 and the Patriots Week 4. Um, that was before, uh, I think, before the Patriots have really found their stride. Uh, yeah, I think they were 1-3 and three at the time. Right, right, absolutely. So, uh, so they haven't had quite as many tests as of late. Here the Colts uh, come in. Finally, one game over 500 as another quote-unquote winning team for now. But, of course, they wouldn't be a winning team if, if they lose this weekend. So that's a, I guess that's a, a stat that we'll have to really pay attention to later in the year. But anyway, uh, Buccaneers, players to watch. Tom Brady, of course, leads the way. Uh, he leads the NFL in touchdown passes with 29. Leads the NFL in passing yards per game, more than 317, which again goes to, I guess, my point that he's certainly an MVP candidate. He's completed 67% of his passes, but five of his eight interceptions did come in the last three games. He had only been one and two over that stretch. So 
uh, Joe, as much as uh, he's really been humming at the start of the year uh, lately with these couple losses, there's at least been a couple cracks in the armor the team's been able to take advantage of. And so uh, the Colts, especially after last week, when, boy, turnovers seemed easy to come by, uh, when when it rains, it pours sometimes with takeaways. We'll see if they can continue their um, what they were able to do last week and uh, getting the ball away from Tom, perhaps. Yeah, they'll have to get after Tom and pressure him and make him uh, force some. It's hard to even say force passes because Tom Brady is so smart with the ball. Um, I, I put that stat about the interceptions. I know at least a couple of them were deflected. Um, so it's, you know, how much of that do you want to put on the quarterback? But for a guy like Tom Brady, any stat like five interceptions in his last three games is a big stat because over the course of his career, interceptions have been so rare, especially over the second half of his long career. So, I mean, the the Colts are just going to have to be opportunistic. When there's a deflected pass, someone needs to come down with it. If there's a pass that hits somebody in the hands, you got to catch it. You can't drop those because there's not going to be very many chances. You can always tip it to yourself like Kenny Moore did as well. That's right. That's pretty Volleyball. impressive. What a play, man. Like, I was watching it live, of course. I was there in Buffalo, and I saw him do it. And, like, I saw the first tip, and then I thought to myself, oh, Kenny's not going to get this because I saw the receiver right there with him. And then he tips it to himself. And it was, it was, it was, a, it was a very heady play, very good play that, of course, led to points. And uh, it was, yeah, it was one heck of a play. I, I, Kenny's great. And I, I hope Kenny makes the Pro Bowl at, at least once, and hopefully more than once in his in his career in Indy. But uh, he uh, he made a heck of a play there to come away with that ball, and he's going to have to make uh, more than one good play, probably he and everyone in the secondary this weekend, if they're chasing Mike Evans, Chris Godwin around, also Rob Gronkowski, who I already mentioned. Uh, Evans and Godwin are perhaps the premier wide receiver duo in the NFL. They've combined for 110 catches, 1,461 yards, and 15 touchdowns this year. Ten of those touchdowns belong to Evans. That leads the league, uh, tied for the league lead. And uh, Godwin's top ten in both catches and receiving yards. Um, these are guys, Joe, that have kind of different uh, different strengths, uh, although they, all, they both have many strengths, being uh, very good wide receivers in the NFL. But they complement each other really well, and uh, they, they allow a quarterback like Tom Brady to beat you in multiple ways because they can beat you as wide receivers and tight end and Gronkowski will throw him in there in multiple ways themselves. Yeah. I mean, given Tom Brady, a six foot five wide receiver and Mike Evans is almost not fair sometimes. I mean, it, it, he showed you Monday, all he has to do is get body position on the defender and it's almost an automatic touchdown. Um, his size has a huge strength. Hopefully uh, Xavier Rhodes, his calf is feeling all right because he's probably the biggest corner that the Colts have. And then Chris Godwin's just a great route runner, very good hands, and he can run after the catch as well. Uh, something I didn't put on the injury report is this offense goes to a whole nother level when Antonio Brown is on the field. I mean, Tom Brady just has a really good report with that guy. And um, if Antonio Brown is able to come back, he's missed several games with an ankle injury. Uh, he hinted on Instagram a few days ago that he might be coming back soon, but who knows what soon means. Um, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. We'll certainly keep you updated on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. But I think when Antonio Brown is on the field, this is the best wide receiver or trio currently in the NFL uh, because Tom Brady just gets him the ball in a position to win. Yeah, Chap, if you're looking at the other side of the ball for Tampa Bay, their front seven uh, that Joe lists here is arguably the best in the NFL. You have linebackers Devin White and Levante David, who were both second-team All-Pros last year. 
And then the front four is, they're, they're all Pro Bowl players. I mean, Shaq Bear, Jason Pierre-Paul on the edge, Vita Vea and Dominican Sue, a five-time All-Pro in the middle. It, it's going to be, I think, a lot harder to run the ball than it was last week in Buffalo. Not to disparage Buffalo's line or their front seven, which is pretty good itself, but uh, but Tampa Bay seems to be on another level. They they are stacked there with everything close to the box. It's, it's really kind of crazy because last week Buffalo was – Number one, number two, number three, and everything defensively. Yep, you're right. And, and I wondered, and maybe I think it was on our podcast. I, I wondered, yeah, but look who they've played. They they didn't really play a murderer's row at all, and and I'm not disparaging Tampa at all. They they got a strong defense, but we're also talking playing Atlanta, Miami, the Eagles at the time weren't all that strong. The Bears, Washington, and the Giants. So. Some of that is is a reflection of, of who they've played. They've not faced a running game at this level. And I think the Colts are going to try to run the football. I, I think they will, but not to the to, to the 46 rushes and 20 passes of last game. But I, 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 I'm, I'm starting to look more and more about who'd you play, who have you played. And playing the Giants, I mean, really? That that was the, the Giants. That was about as bad of a football team as I've seen in a while. I think coming off their bye, if I'm not mistaken. I know Tampa was, so we'll see. But I, I like the way the Colts are playing now. But th- th- this game again, th- this will be a uh, a second major test against a top defense, and we'll see if the schedules bear out. What I wonder is how good are these guys? I know how good they are on offense. You can't have personnel like that and not be you know top of the line. I just want to see how this Colts offense uh, works against this, this level of defense again. Yeah, it's easier to tell right now who the bad teams are than the good teams are, right. you know. Yeah, and when you look at, I think it was Dan Orlovsky that po- posted the video to Twitter with, uh, it was from the Buccaneer Giants game on Monday night. There were yeah. like three, yeah, yeah, Joe knows what I'm talking about. Chap, you're going to have to look it up. But there were three Giants receivers that just like ran slants into the middle of the field. And, like, stopped within three yards of each other. Basically Olaf, ran into each other. Yeah. He was just yelling at, at the screen. He was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, And, and like you said, coming off a of bye week, it was, just, it was just an embarrassment, really. Well, what, it, what they did. and then yeah. offensive coordinator Jason Garrett has since been fired. So. He has, yes. So I'm sure that wasn't the ultimate reason, but it was, I'm sure, part of the reason uh, as well. That uh, the offensive was not in, in, in New York. And uh, Tampa certainly took advantage of it this past week. But when you look at the Bucks' offense, it is the number one scoring offense in the league, nearly 31 points per game. They're averaging more than 400 yards per game. They're in the middle of the pack turnover-wise, 14th in the league, as the Colts are now leading the league in turnovers and in turnover margin and in points off turnovers. So I'm sure that'll uh, come to pass when we are talking about keys to the game later. But uh, the Bucks have also allowed the fewest sacks in the league with 13. And I think that that has something to do with Tom Brady, with the uh, the rhythm and the uh, uh, the way that he runs the offense, getting it out relatively quickly, knowing where to go with the ball better pre-snap. Um, uh, and so so that's part of it. And, but also Tampa Bay's offensive line is pretty good. You got Wirfs on one side, who's maybe one of the, like, he's only in his second year, but he's one of the best young left tackles in the league or right. He's a left tackle. Yeah. No, he's um, on the right side. He's on the right side. Never mind. Ignore me. Yeah, I think Donovan Smith is on the left side. And then okay. uh, Jensen, their center, is really good as well. I remember the Colts right. brought him in for a visit a few years back. He ended up going to Tampa, and he's been a, yes. a stud for them. 
Rushing yards, they're only 26th in the NFL in rushing, 91 yards per game, but they're 4.2 yards per carry is middle of the pack there, so it's a little bit more effective than it is uh, productive, I guess is a way to put it. And they've only rushed for 219 times this entire year. That's the second fewest in the league. Um, so they average, let's see, Joe has a good stat here. The, the Bucks average like 22 rushes and 43 passes per game. The Colts average 28 rushes and 32 passes per game. So it's much, much closer uh, for the Colts than it is for the Bucks. They're going to pass it a lot. They do a lot of short passes, especially like Joe, when you said when Antonio Brown is in there um, to get him the ball quickly, that kind of translates to somewhat of a running game. So uh, Joe, we have to look for uh, quite a few more passes than runs uh, this Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, the, the Colts' pass rush better be ready because they're going to have 40, 45 uh, times that they need to get to Tom Brady. So uh, this is, I don't know how he's 44 and still leading the best passing offense in the NFL, but he's somehow, somehow doing it. Whatever, uh, I, you know, if I had enough discipline, I would go on the Tom Brady diet and probably become an Olympic athlete because this guy <laughs> just takes care of his body so well to be doing it at this high of a level. Uh, this far into his career. I, I hate to give the guy praise after what he's done to the Colts all these years, but um, hopefully the Colts can get a little bit of a, a, a redemption here on Sunday. We have, uh, we have, we're, we're, real quick, real quick we, had, we had a couple of funny moments with, with Reich today. As it was brought up that since 1985, there's only been one year in the league when there's not been a Reich or a Brady playing. That was in 99 when... Frank had retired before Brady got there, and, and also we asked the Forrest Buckner. I asked, I asked Buck. I said, "What, what will you be done when you when you're 44?" He said, "The only way I'm playing football is if, if I'm broke." So, <laughs> if, if he's broke, he first needs to fire his financial planner because he's got plenty of bucks right now. But uh, it's just amazing uh, when you think of Brady. He made. I always remember he. I, I was there when he made his first career start in 2000 and two in Foxborough uh-huh. against the Colts yep. and, and Peyton. And now Peyton's in the Hall of Fame, and we're still watching Brady. By the way, Joe, I, th- I think he's 11-3 and three against the Colts lifetime. So he does tend to play well against these guys. Yeah, that's a reason for uh, fans here not to be so, uh, so loving, so cheery, so kind to see him coming by. Uh, we'll touch on the Bucks' defense. They have the top-ranked run defense right now in the NFL, so the Colts got the top run defense two weeks in a row after uh, manhandling the Bills last week. Um, Bucks allow 78 yards per game, 3.8 yards per carry is second best, six rushing touchdowns is third best. Against the pass, they're uh, 17th in the league. They've allowed 18 passing touchdowns, which is the seventh most. Uh, Colts have actually allowed the most with 25 passing touchdowns this year. And uh, they have 24 sacks, which is one more than the Colts. So they're right around uh, the same same range as Indianapolis. 12th in points allowed, 22. 7th in takeaways with 18. So they can take the wall away pretty well, too. Uh, not quite on the same level as the Colts have, but 7th is uh, certainly nothing to sneeze at. Let's get to our keys to the game as the Colts take on the Buccaneers this weekend at Lucas Oil Stadium. Number one, Joe says, run, Taylor, run. Run, Jonathan Taylor. I think when you look at last week, Joe, that's your blueprint. I mean, you're going up against a top-ranked run defense for the second week in a row. It certainly didn't deter him last week, and I doubt it will deter him, at least at the beginning, from trying this week. Yeah, the Bills' top-ranked defense in the NFL. I think in runs specifically, the Bills were third mm-hmm. uh, going into last week, and then the Colts exploded for 264 on them. So uh, I don't think just because Tampa Bay has had – I mean, Tampa Bay's had, if not the top-run defense, the top-five-run defense for the past two or three years now. So this is nothing new. 
I don't think this is anything they have to prove anymore. But I do think the Colts, uh, you know, should be able to run the ball against these guys just because how well the offensive line is run blocking and how well Jonathan Taylor is playing. And they're going to need it. Taylor is still, uh, the Colts are still undefeated when Taylor rushes for 100 yards. And I think if the Colts are able to do that again on Sunday, they'll keep that streak going because another 100-yard game from Taylor, A, means that, you know, simply they're able to run the ball well against them, which is what the Colts want to do. But it means it's going to set up the pass for Carson Wentz. Um, and it means that if you can continue to run the ball, you're in a good position in the ball game. When you have to abandon the run and pass it, obviously you're losing. Um, so I think if the Colts are able to do what they want to do and run the ball and Taylor surpasses 100 yards, I believe, what, for a fourth or fifth straight game? He's had several in a row. I think the Colts, that's going to go very far in the Colts winning. Yeah, this year and last year, in fact, the Colts are undefeated when Taylor rushes for 100 yards or more. Um, I think this year in particular, Chap, you look at the opposite side of the coin, though. They do not win when he doesn't reach 100 yards rushing. So they're 0-5 when he doesn't hit 100 yards. They're 6-0 when he does, which is which is a crazy stat to me that it's that, it's that perfect of a uh, uh, falling down, falling out that way. Um, but But Taylor also... He's on a little bit of a different streak, too, if you just talk about scrimmage yards, rushing and receiving. Uh, he has eight straight games now with 100-plus yards from scrimmage and a rushing touchdown, which tied an NFL record. So one more, and Jonathan Taylor sets an NFL record. So maybe that's more reason to consider him even higher for an NFL MVP-type award. Uh, nevertheless, the Colts have been getting Taylor involved since the first couple weeks of the season was a little bit slower. Whether it's in the run game or the pass game, they want, him, they want to do it. Um, and I'm sure that that will be plan A when we kick off against the Buccaneers this weekend. Yeah, I think what will be interesting is is maybe, hey, the, the yards are great, and, and when he's over 100, again, like you said, they're, they're 9-0. and it, is, What are his attempts this week? I think that's going to show you how the game's going, that they can get him they can get him 20-25, and I'd almost say that's more important than the 100 yards, but if he gets 25 carries, he's getting 100 yards just because that's his game. He's going to He's going to have that 15, 20, 40. So I think maybe his I'll be looking at his, his attempts as much as his yards, although with him they tend to go hand in hand. Get to Tom Brady for sure. He will absolutely slay any team if he has time in the pocket. DeForest Buckner said this week, try to make him throw out of a coffin. And, that and a, Mike, that if you're a looking, great quote. Throw out of a coffin. It was. Yeah. If there's any way to get to him, the best way to get to him would be up the middle. And not just around the edge, Mike, because, hey, edge pressure is great against Brady. It's great against any team, any quarterback for sure. But if you really want to make him move out of the pocket, that is not his strength at all. Um, so if you if you get up in his grill, up in his face, I think that's the easiest thing to do. Not even let him step up in the pocket and find just an extra half a second, but make him have to roll out a bit to the right, to the left, throw a little bit on the run, make him do something that he's at least mildly uncomfortable with rather than all the things that he is comfortable doing as one of the best quarterbacks that uh, this game has ever seen. Right. Yeah. And this is, this just, these last two weeks are going to show you how this very definitely this league is a week to week make adjustments because last week in Buffalo, the, the idea, yes, it was to pressure Allen. It was, but more so is to keep him in the well, you know, the the so-called well, don't let him get outside. That's when and most of the bad things he did last week is when he was in the pocket. So with Brady, you know where he's going to be. He, you know, 
95% of the time he's going to be right. He's going to take the five-step drop and be right there. So it, it, I, I think they can be more aggressive with their pass rush than they were last week because so much of last week was more disciplined and don't let a guy get outside with Brady. And I do think Brady's a guy, any quarterback. But if you get, you get in his grill, like you said, early, and you got him thinking about it. Now, he's still a great quarterback, and he's still going to make you pay if, if you don't get there. But I was watching that, that Giants game, and good Lord, six, seven, eight seconds in the pocket, and he's patting the ball, patting the ball. You can only ask your defense, your secondary, to do so much. So it, we've seen Quiddy Pay really sort of crank it up over the last, what, month to really where he's, he, he's making plays now, get Buckner and Grover up the middle, and then have somebody else on the other outside. So it, it's very important always to get to the quarterback you got to get Tom Brady off his spot, or like you said, he'll, he'll get you 80% passing all day. I think it was funny post-game for, in Buffalo, listening to Quiddy Page speak with the media. Like, hearing him, every time we asked him a question, he just came back to, yeah, we, we just were supposed to keep him in the pocket. Like, it's funny, if you listen to it in, in its entirety, uh, he just kept, like, no matter what we asked him, he was like, yeah, we were just trying to keep him in the pocket. Yeah, we just need to keep our rush lanes. Yeah, he needed to stay there. Like, and he was right. Like that was, it was obviously just ground into him over the entire week by D line coach, Brian Baker to court defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus and others. But yeah, this, this week's different chap. Like you point out, it can't be the exact same thing. That's where Tom Brady wants to be. I think if you let him escape a little bit, that's okay. I mean, you don't, you don't you, want, you can, you crazy. can live with a, a, an escape and a 13 yard run that he had. Yeah. You cannot let him sit back there and pat the ball. Uh, he's too good. He's always been too good. And, you know, make him play in a chaotic pocket and see what see what you can do. The final key, I'm not going to say Carson Wentz needs to match Tom Brady, but Tom, Carson Wentz does need to play good situational football, and this goes for the entire offense as well. Um, converting the red zone with touchdowns would be very helpful, and the Colts have been better of that recently, but still not great, I don't think. Uh, Joe, the stat that you point out here that uh, they've only converted, they've converted about 57, 58% of their uh, red zone trips over the last three weeks to touchdowns. And that's 15th in the NFL, which is better than it was at the start of the season. But 15th in the NFL is still not great there. You really need to come away with more points rather than fewer points, especially when you're playing someone like Tom Brady, uh, Joe, uh, this weekend. So when you get in the red zone, uh, they need to convert with touchdowns and, and keep, keep the pressure on uh, the other guys to keep performing as well. Yeah, and obviously what that stat doesn't show is field goals because at the beginning of the season, there were several drives in the red zone that didn't even come away with field goals. Right. Uh, at least the Colts have been getting that lately. Uh, but but even field goals are not going to get it done against Tom Brady. They need touchdowns. They need to pound it into the end zone. Uh, obviously the offensive line in Jonathan Taylor. But uh, I'm also looking at Michael Pittman Jr. He was quiet last week because he didn't have to do much. He had the key... First down uh, reception, I'm, I think it was second and 14. Colts were a little backed up, and Michael Pittman made a, a great catch after a great pass from Wentz. But he's going to be key in the red zone and really key all game long because we talked about how good this run defense is. The Colts need to run, but they also need a threat of the pass as well. So I'm looking at Michael Pittman Jr. big there. Um, and, I mean, I kind of detail a lot of things here, but the Colts just they, – it comes down to they can't beat themselves – they need to convert on third downs, which they did a good job against uh, Buffalo. They need to take care of the football. 
zero turnovers over the last three games for the Colts. They need to continue that trend. Can't give Brady extra opportunities. Um, and then, like Mike always says, Carson Wentz needs to make those handful of key plays in the game that make a difference in order to win. So maybe a couple shovel passes uh, here and there, making key plays. You know what, Josh Allen did have one, like, one or two that he kind of shoveled forward, and I, I made sure to make a note on it on Twitter because our, our, our fine, that. my fine colleague, Chris Wedlick, is not a fan of those of those shovel passes. And, and I've said before, I don't care as long as they, uh, they don't become interceptions. Uh, and uh, Frank Reich has said, yeah, he doesn't care as long as Carson stands up and takes the heat for him when everything goes wrong, which which he has in the past. So... Uh, so that that that's that's all I'm going to say about that. That's all I'm going to say about that right now. <laughs> I promise. I promise. Um, FanDuel has the Colts three point underdogs this weekend. The over under is set at 51 and a half points. So you're looking at about a 27 to 25 game is what they're predicting. 27 24, right in that range for the Buccaneers to come in. Um, I'll give my prediction. Joe, you'll go next, and then Michael wrap us up. Um, last week was was a great great game for the Colts. They showed what Chris Ballard made them to be. Now they certainly have momentum. They're coming back home for Thanksgiving week. Um, I think that they have a lot of things going for them right now when Tampa comes in. Um, Tampa has not played at their best lately. That's not to say that one week can't turn things around. Tom Brady, when he's under center, I, I remember the, the time a couple years ago when after like five or six weeks, and the Patriots at the time, they were like one and four, one and five. Everyone was predicting, oh, Tom Brady's done. He's done. And then they go off and they win the AFC that year. I think it was in 2017, actually, when they played the Eagles in the Super Bowl. I'm not sure if it was that year, but it was another Super Bowl year. I remember that. Like, I, I've stopped picking Tom Brady to be done, for sure. And you can't say that this year, the guy who's leading the NFL and passing uh, touchdowns, leading the NFL and passing yards per game. Um, but as a team, they're just not they're slogging it out right now they're not completely clicking and maybe last week was a get right game against the Giants I'm not sure uh, all this to say I do think the Colts have a little bit more momentum than the Buccaneers do right now so in a game that between two teams I think that are very close I'm going to stick with the Colts at home playing a little bit better I think right now but it is I think going to be a close game um, and I'm going to go with uh, 30 to 27 Colts um, I think that they get it done they get two games above 500 and that would be a really, really good sign for, for things coming down the stretch of the season, put them in better position, the AFC, when it looks to the playoffs at the end of the year. So uh, I, I, I slightly favor the Colts in this game, 30-27. to 27. Uh, Joe, what do you think? You know, I, I was the only one to pick the Colts last week, and I put my money where my mouth was and made a little bit of, made a little bit of cash on FanDuel. Is there audio on that? I don't remember. There is. I might have oh. to pull it up and replay it, but I'm going to pick the Colts again. They're playing, I mean, they're one of the hottest teams in the NFL right now. I think Jonathan Taylor is the hottest player. And Carson Wentz has played, he's played really well all year, minus maybe a quarter and a half um, in those key games. That really just that key game against Tennessee. 18 touchdown passes to three interceptions. I'll take that all day long. I'm going to go with the Colts as well in this one. I think the run game's uh, going to be able to do enough, keep the ball away from Tom Brady, keep drives alive. Colts 31, Buccaneers 27. Chap. Well, I, 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 I did not climb in the golf cart with Joe last week and take the Colts. I wanted to. I had like one foot in, but I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. 
<laughs> I couldn't do it. Only because, primarily because, they hadn't done it yet. The, 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 the 0-8 against playoff teams, and I just wanted to see them do it, and boy, they kind of showed up and bowed up and did it. I just think they're playing very well. I, I still wonder how good Tampa is. We'll find out. You know, I, I, again, I their schedule's not as hasn't been as tough as what the Colts has been. I, I, I look at thirty twenty four, thirty twenty four ish. I think again, I like the way they're playing, and I think again, as long as long as Wins does, if, if Wins throws for one oh six again, I don't think they win. So, uh, but I do think there'll be a nice blend there. The defense is getting enough done. Uh, and again, I think uh, the great website, 538.com, it's got the Colts, I think, at 72% and 75% playoffs now. And if they win Sunday, it goes to like 85%. Wow. Uh, I, I, I just think that they're doing the right things now, and uh, I just think they, they keep stacking wins. That, of course, is uh, banking on them not tripping up later and losing one to Houston exactly. or losing one to Jacksonville, you know? Yeah. So you got this one against the Bills, which is one we all said they need one of these. Well, they got one, and that 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 means that you got to keep uh, keep winning the ones you're expecting to win right now. Good and gracious, guys! Out. We all three picked him. I didn't expect that. Is this a jinx? Do we need to knock on wood or something right now? This doesn't I, seem right. I think we're okay. <laughs> I think we're okay, or else I wouldn't have picked him. All right, let's do it. We're okay. Colts Buccaneers this weekend inside Lucas Oil Stadium. If you're in central Indiana, you can watch on Fox 59. We thank you for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. From Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths. Have a great Thanksgiving with your families. We will see you next week.